This is a Federal News Network podcast. We continue our discussion with how the federal government can bolster domestic production of rare earth elements crucial to electric vehicles and other energy imperatives. For more on the elements themselves and why they matter, the Energy Department's Program Manager for Research and Development Consortia, Dr. Mike McKittrick. Mike, good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about some of these rare earth and other types of materials. Everyone knows about cobalt because that's been an issue for magnets for 40 or 50 years. And lithium, we know about that in batteries. But there's a whole range of these materials and elements, aren't there? Give us a sense of them. There are. So in the United States doesn't have any domestic production and relies completely on imports for a number of materials, uh, including rare earth elements, uh, which are probably one of the, the other good examples while we have the raw material resources for rare earth elements, we, we lack the downstream processing and manufacturing capabilities to make things like high-strength magnets from neodymium, which is one of the rare earth elements. And we need these strong magnets for things like electric vehicle motors or wind generators. Okay, and there's 35 of them that have been identified, I guess, by the Energy Department or by some authority that says these really count. Several years ago, the Department of Energy worked with our interagency colleagues, including the Department of Interior, to identify a list of, of 35 critical minerals that had some supply chain challenges. And are we talking basically about those types of materials that would be needed in electric power generation, electric cars, windmills, that is non-fossil fuel generation, non-nuclear? The list that, uh, that the Department of Energy developed with the Department of Interior several years ago was uh, looking at the economy-wide uh, materials. But at the Department of Energy, we are particularly interested in those critical materials that allow us to produce and manufacture and deploy those clean energy technologies here in the U.S. So things like electric vehicles, lithium-ion batteries, or wind generators. Okay. And what is the issue? Because the grant program implies that we can mine and refine or whatever you call it. I guess it varies according to the material, these things from U.S. soil. So how come we don't already? The issue isn't just about having the raw materials. And as we can mine the materials, there needs to be separation, processing, and manufacturing to incorporate these materials into products like electric vehicle motors, wind generators, or lithium-ion batteries for storage. But the key challenge is that the U.S. lacks the downstream processing and manufacturing capability for critical materials like neodymium for rare earth magnets. Uh, and that ultimately results in us exporting domestically produced ores for further processing. So we can dig it up, but that's about all we can do is make a big truckload of dirt and something important is in that, but we can't get it out. That's right. And, and we would like to, to be able to do that value add uh, processing and manufacturing which will enable U.S. manufacturers to produce things like electric vehicles, wind generators, and allow us to de deploy more of those technologies in the, in the United States. So the idea is to not be dependent on foreign sources for the processing and the finished material. Absolutely. Okay. And where are these things located? Are they in the Southwest? Are they all over the country? Do we know where they are? Working with our colleagues at the Department of Interior, like the United States Geological Survey, as well as some of the other work going on in the Department of Energy, we have a good sense of where some of the geological resources are. And, and for many of the critical materials, the U.S. has the geological resources we need. Globally, for rare earth elements, we get about 80% of our imports are sourced from China. For cobalt, which is needed for lithium-ion batteries, raw materials are largely sourced from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Got it. And what do they know that we don't know with respect to this processing and downstream value add? Because it's been done for a long time. Is this simply something that has atrophied this capability in the United States? Or 
I mean, you're offering research grants. So it sounds like there's some learnings that we could do and maybe leapfrog those countries, or you tell me. What the Department of Energy is looking to do with our research and development is developing technologies that allow for innovation across the supply chain for these materials. And especially on the separation and processing and manufacturing side, we want to reduce the environmental impacts of that production, reduce costs, and allow U.S. manufacturers to be globally competitive in that market. We're speaking with Michael McKittrick. He's acting director of the Advanced Manufacturing Office at the Department of Energy. And the environmental question, I guess, is an important one, because even if you know how to mine something and refine it, we probably have different standards maybe than the Congo or than China. So do you envision some of the research going toward that end of things to do this refining and value add in an environmentally favorable way? Absolutely. A lot of the research and development I'm doing in the Advanced Manufacturing Office with a program we call the Critical Materials Institute is looking at how to, again, use a more environmentally friendly processing techniques, uh, reducing solvents and, and harmful chemicals, as well as improving reuse and recycling. That's another key aspect of the environmental side here. And we can also by be more efficiently using materials that exist in products like lithium ion batteries or hard disk drives. We can reduce the environmental impact of the critical material supply chain, how to recover and reuse rare earth elements from hard disk drives. Uh, we've also uh, worked with entrepreneurs to develop solutions to collect, store, and essentially reuse lithium ion batteries. Got it. And I guess that recycling question, probably one of the questions you'll be looking at research for possibly is how to do it in a way that the value of the material you get out of it exceeds what it costs to recycle it in the first place. Yes, absolutely. That's one of the things we're looking at as we recycle a hard disk drive, looking at the neodymium, the rare earth magnet that's included in there. How can we use innovative manufacturing technologies like 3D printing to recover the rare earths and actually make new magnets that we can reuse? Because if you can buy a two or four terabyte drive for a hundred bucks, you don't want to spend a thousand dollars getting the lithium out of it when you're done with it or whatever the material is. Exactly. Okay. And what about this possibility of substitutes? Is some of the research aimed at those? And we keep saying lithium ion batteries. Maybe there's, you know, kryptonite ion batteries or something that we could <laughs> develop and we've got lots of it right here. Developing substitutes is a key part of the Department of Energy strategy, along with improving supply chains and improving reuse and recycling. For substitutes, we're looking at uh, material or even system substitutes that can allow us to, to find replacements for rare earth elements or lithium or cobalt. Again, with, within the Advanced Manufacturing Office, uh, we're looking at new materials or manufacturing methods like additive manufacturing or 3D printing to replace rare earth magnets. In partnership with the Vehicle Technology Office in the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy, we're also looking at, at how to reduce the U.S. dependence on cobalt and lithium, which we need for lithium-ion batteries. So that's through both uh, the manufacturing process and recycling. How do we reduce the cobalt needed for these batteries or potentially eliminating the need for cobalt altogether while we're meeting the performance and, and requirements for electric vehicles? Yeah, so this is really a whole complex of issues you're looking at from the ground to, say, a 3D printer. Then it sounds like it's going to be a range of types of research grants that you envision here. Yes, and the Department of Energy has been funding research in this area for many years, and we're building off of that with the Office of Science announcement that was recently came out. But there's a new urgency to it, isn't there, with national policy changing and the drive for these new technologies really increasing in demand quite a bit. 
Absolutely. These issues have been, especially rare earth melons, have been well known for about a decade. But it's important as we're thinking about the deployment and manufacturing of clean energy technologies like electric vehicles, wind generators here in the U.S. Dr. Mike McKittrick, Program Manager for Research and Development Consortia at the Energy Department. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, Great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, All of these are backward-looking development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees, Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth. 
but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling. Uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 